Beautifully done. Thank you for that. And I love that song. Uh, it's my favorite song. My favorite hymn of all time is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Amen on that. Well, uh, if you would uh, take your Bible at this time and turn to the book of Mark once again. We're going to be back in the book of Mark. And uh, we're in chapter number 9. And as you're turning there, if you would uh, be physically able to stand, if you would go ahead and do that, Mark chapter number 9, we'll stand for the reading of God's Word, and uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 9, and we're actually only going to read verses 9 and 10, but the message is going to take us all the way through verse number 32 today, so we're going to cover quite a bit of ground in a short period of time. And so we're going to move quickly today through this passage, but we're going to just start by reading verses 9 and 10 here. The Bible says this, And as they uh, came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together this uh, morning to look into your word. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us what we need today. and Help us to be good hearers, but then good doers of what we hear. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of the message uh, this morning is Confused Disciples. As we consider a confusion, I was reading about a little five-year-old girl who took a sheet of brown construction paper and she cut out the letter E in this construction uh, paper with her safety scissors. And she wrapped this, uh, this piece of paper uh, as a Christmas gift and presented it to her dad for Christmas. And when her dad opened the present, he looked at it with a smile and he saw this brown piece of paper that was cut out and it was in the shape of an E. And he was like, thank you. That's what I've always wanted. (laughs) Well, he asked this question, you know, okay, what what is this? And his daughter, his five-year-old daughter replied, well, you said you wanted a brownie for Christmas, and so I gave you a brownie for Christmas. And so she was a tad confused, wasn't she? Then I read the story of the uh, young CB electrician who was electrocuted from working on a live fixture. Uh, the master sergeant visited him in the infirmity and chewed him out, and he said, What made you think you could work on a live fixture? And the apprentice replied, well, sir, I was trying to save time, and I've seen you stand on one leg, grab the wires, and splice them without turning off the power. And the master sergeant replied, you dummy, didn't you notice that I've gotten a, I have a wooden leg? And uh, that's why he was able to do that, you see. And uh, confusion. Small misunderstandings and confusion can become very dangerous if left uncorrected. And in our passage this morning... In Mark chapter number 9, we find the disciples completely confused and had faulty understanding of four important truths 
that they needed to really understand and really uh, we need to understand as well. Now, thankfully, we can have clarity about these truths after the fact as we look back and uh, have the hindsight vision, which they say is 2020. And so uh, this morning, let's look at these truths today and, and find the clarity in what the disciples were confused about. First, let's see that, number one, they were confused about the resurrection of Christ. And verse number nine says, as they came down from the mountain, what mountain was this? Well, this was the mountain of transfiguration that we looked at last Sunday. And as Jesus was transfigured uh, before the disciples' eyes, and there were only three there, it was Peter, James, and John, right? And then Moses and Elijah also appeared there as well. And then after that fact, they were coming down from the mountain. Uh, he, Jesus charged them, uh, charged Peter, James, and John that they should tell no man what things they had seen. He said, I don't want you talking of this experience until after the resurrection of Christ, until after the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Well, verse number 10 says, And they kept that saying with, with themselves, questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. And Jesus had already announced in chapter 8 that he would uh, suffer many things and that he would um, deal with, uh, in verse number 31, he must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And, and uh, they kind of kept missing this point of the resurrection. Now, in their sandals, uh, I probably would have been a little confused about the resurrection too. Like, what did he mean by the rising again from the dead? What, what do you mean? Now, these disciples were, were Jews, and um, Peter, James, and John were, and they knew uh, the Old Testament. They were very familiar with the Old Testament. And they would have known, no doubt, about the account of Elijah and the widow's son when Elijah, remember, stretched himself on the dead boy three times, crying unto the Lord. Back in 1 Kings chapter 17, where the Lord ended up hearing his cry, his cry, and the soul of the child came into him again. So it's not that they wouldn't have known about the concept of resurrection, but they wouldn't have known, uh, but, but for someone to die and rise again by their own power was totally foreign to them. They didn't understand it. They were confused. Well, I, again, I am not trying to fault Peter, James, and John. I mean, certainly, I wish they would have known what it meant. And, and, but, but again, I'm putting myself in their, in their place, and I know that I probably would have been a little confused at that point as well. But we fast forward over 2,000 years later to where we are today, and I'm here to tell you uh, there's no confusion about what he meant that day when he said, from the rising uh, from the dead. Uh, we, know what the, uh, we know what the resurrection from the dead is and what Jesus did for us. There's no confusion. There's no doubt. Uh, Luke said this in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3. He says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, the resurrected Christ um, was no uh, myth. It's no fairy tale. It actually happened. And to trust that, we're trusting 
infallible proofs that can actually be proven? What are some of the proofs that he gave us to indicate that the resurrection of Christ actually happened? Well, the first one is the empty tomb. I challenge anyone to go try to find the skeleton of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will come up empty in your search because he is not here for he is risen as he said. The empty tomb. Uh, you go to the, uh, the tomb of Muhammad or uh, Confucius or uh, to Joseph Smith or to any other founder of religion and you will find their bones, but you try to go to the empty or to the tomb of Jesus Christ and all you will find is an empty tomb. It's all you'll find because he's not here. He has risen. Uh, he has given us the empty tomb as a proof, as evidence, as Exhibit A on the fact that Jesus did indeed rise again. The witnesses were also a tremendous uh, example and proof that he has given to us. See, it wasn't just that he rose from the dead. After his resurrection, he appeared to multiple people. Paul mentions those in his letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 15, he says this, He was seen of Cephas... That's Peter. Then of the twelve, that's the rest of the disciples. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And then after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. So Paul says he's been seen of all these different multiple people. Hundreds of people. And they would all give, you'd put them in front of the, uh, the, the court and, and you bring them to the witness stand. Ha, did you see the resurrected Christ? Yes, I saw. And these people had nothing to gain or lose from telling the truth and they would have testified. And so the witnesses bear proof that Jesus indeed rose again. Uh, what else? Well, the transformed lives of the disciples. Once they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, it changed everything for them. Oh, they were discouraged. They were defeated because Jesus, their, their, their Lord, their master, their, their teacher had, had died on the cross and was buried. And Let's just go back to fishing. Well, then the resurrected Savior shows back up and uh, their lives are completely changed. And uh, all of them were faithful unto death. All of them were martyred and killed for their faith with the exception of one, the Apostle John, who died of natural causes. But in each case, all of them were faithful unto death. Think they would have done that for a lie? All of them? I don't really think so. You see, Jesus indeed rose again. And for now... As we're back here in Mark chapter 9, or chapter 9 and verse number 10, uh, they were questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. For now, Jesus lets them wonder. Jesus lets them question. But there would soon come a day when the confusion would be gone and they would have a clear understanding of the fact that Jesus indeed uh, rose from the grave and rose from the dead. So there was confusion about the resurrection of Christ and they were confused, but I guarantee right now they're not confused any longer. And uh, there may be some confusion in your mind right now about the resurrected Christ. 
I'm telling you, he rose from the grave. And he's given us many infallible proofs to prove the fact that he indeed is living today. So they were confused about the resurrection of Christ. Secondly, they were confused about the return of Elijah. About the return of Elijah. In verse number 11, so um, as they're making their way down the mountain, the Bible says this in verse 11, they asked him, the disciples did. And what disciples? It was Peter, James, and John. And they asked him saying, why say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come? And see, these disciples were confused again. And so Jesus asks and, and provides some clarification in verses 12 and 13 about the return of Elijah. And he says in verse 12, uh, Elijah or Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught? But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn over to uh, Malachi, chapter number 4. And basically, if you can find the book of Matthew just before the book of Matthew is Malachi. And if you're uh, a little more of an, uh, an Italian persuasion, uh, Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 4. But Malachi chapter number 4 and the last two verses of the Old Testament indicate that Elijah would come back before uh, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse number 5 of Malachi chapter 4 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the, and the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So here's the prophecy that these disciples are referring to that he would come back. You can go ahead and flip back to Mark chapter number 9. And so this was the prophecy they were referring to, and they said, uh, why, why do the scribes say that Elias must first come? And so basically Jesus says this, look, like Elijah, John the Baptist, and he was referring to John the Baptist here, uh, John the Baptist boldly proclaimed the need for repentance and pointed his people back to God. Also, like Elijah, the ministry of John the Baptist involved suffering. Um, yeah, John the Baptist had kind of an interesting uh, wardrobe. He had an interesting diet. Uh, he ate locusts. That was his, that was his deal. Um, I don't exactly plan to eat that today for lunch. Um, I, I, that's not on my radar, but it was on John the Baptist. He was an interesting individual. Well, he boldly proclaimed the need for repentance, but uh, as a result, John the Baptist was uh, dealt with tremendous persecution and ended up having his head severed from his body because of his stand for truth. Well, Elijah was severely persecuted as well, and if you recall back in First uh, Kings chapter number 19, wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were after Elijah and Elijah ended up having to flee for his life. And in much the same way, Jesus tells his disciples that John the Baptist was persecuted and they did whatsoever they pleased to him, pleased 
to do to him. Uh, verse 13, it says, They have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. So this passage is basically saying, Look, Elijah has come in the spirit of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And so the parallel passage in Matthew, as Matthew records this instance, when the disciples were confused about the return of Elijah, here's what uh, Jesus said, or what, what said of the disciples. The Bible says this, Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Okay, well, so they're talking about, well, hey, Elias needs to come first. Um, but in this, you can kind of tell a little bit of a frustration in, in, the, in the tone of Jesus, perhaps, that, that he was saying, yes, it is written that Elijah must come back, but there's something more important. Verse number 12, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And, and how is it written of the Son of Man? Basically, he's saying, look, yeah, it does talk about Elijah needs to come back and all of that, but there's something more important. And that was the Son of Man would also come and suffer many things. So let's not get so distracted on uh, who Elijah and the spirit of Elijah and all that. Let's not get so distracted on that. Let's remember the fact that the Bible also says that the Son of Man, must he must come and, and suffer many things and be set at naught. Let, let's remember the main thing here, and that is that the Son of Man is going to come and uh, suffer many things and end up rising from the grave. Let's remember the main thing. Let's keep our eye on the ball, guys. Uh, let's not get distracted and sidetracked. So they were confused about the return of Elijah. But then thirdly, I want us to see here, they were confused about the resource of power. Is anybody else getting a little toasty in here? If, if you don't mind uh, maybe kicking the, uh, the AC on a little bit. I know it's cold outside and we want it nice and warm in here, but I feel like I'm about to take a nap. So if I'm about to take a nap, then uh, everybody else is about to take a nap. So. Uh, the resource of power. Now, to see their confusion about this, we need to read the entire account. And this is, this is the lengthy portion of the scriptures here. So hopefully you have your Bibles open, and I want you to read through this with me. Uh, I'll take a couple uh, timeouts as we go through this to make a couple comments. But verse 14, it says, When he came to his disciples, so they're coming down off the mountain, right, with James, uh, Peter, James, and John. And uh, they come to his disciples. So they come to the rest of the disciples. And it says here, When they come to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. They just had a beautiful, wonderful mountaintop experience. They come home, and uh, okay, there's, there's still issues. There's still work to be done. It kind of reminds me of uh, our, our um, couples retreat that we just went to, you know. Just a wonderful time there on the mountain, and actually where the retreat was held was kind of on a mountain there. And then we, we, come, we come back down, and uh, we, kids are, you know, the house isn't clean, and it's like, okay, back to work. <laughs> uh, we had a great time, but now it's, it's time to get back to work. And uh, that's what happened here. They, they came to his disciples, and he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, when Jesus came on the scene, they were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And then one of the multitude answered and said, well, master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. 
And whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And my son is demon-possessed, and convulsing, and going into these horrible seizures. And he says, And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. It's almost like, do I have to do everything around here? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I was, I was up communing with my father and, and uh, showing my glory to a few of the disciples. But, uh, O faithless generation. Verse 20, and they brought him unto him. So they, they brought this boy that was demon-possessed and that was convulsing constantly. It says, straightway the spirit tear him. So he had one of those episodes that was a little disturbing. I mean, he began to just shake because the spirit, as he got closer to the Lord Jesus, uh, began to tear this boy. It says he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. There was little foam coming out of his mouth. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came into him? He said, well, of a child. He said he's been like this for a long time since he was a little boy. Verse 22, and oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire. Wow. So this boy was demon-possessed, and this boy would, uh, he sees a, a campfire, he just goes and jumps on it, and the, the parents have to go and rescue and pull him away from the fire. Like, no, you don't need to do that. He, he jumps into the waters, verse 22 continues on, to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So there was indeed spiritual warfare going on in this boy's life, no question. Verse 23, a very powerful verse here. It says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And then verse 24, an interesting little verse here. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. But then he says, help mine unbelief. And isn't that all of us, Right? Lord, I believe that you can do great and mighty things, but, but sometimes there's still a little doubt in the back of my mind. Can you please help my unbelief? And that's where this man is coming from. He's just honest. He's hurt. He's been through the ringer as a parent, seeing his son go through this horrible uh, ordeal for a long time. And he's just brought to tears, and he said, I believe Please help thou mine unbelief. Verse 25, let's keep reading. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Verse 26, and the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. This unclean spirit, this demon, as he makes his way out of this boy's life, who 
This has been his residence for many years. The spirit has lived in this boy for a long time. And now as Jesus casts him out, he doesn't leave peacefully. He has one last hurrah and uh, says he rent him sore. And uh, it was so dramatic. And uh, after the fact, this boy just kind of fell down flat and didn't move a muscle. He was as dead, and everybody thought he was, this is a dead boy. Well, I like verse 27. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Amen. What a powerful story this is. Well, verse 28, this is curious. When he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately. So after the uh, the crowd dissipated after the event was over, and it was just him and the disciples. The disciples said, hey, it's time to ask a question here because we sure tried to help this boy, and we couldn't. We didn't have the power. We couldn't do it. And so he, they asked him in verse 28, why could not we cast him out? And they were confused about the resource of power. They were confused as to why they weren't able to cast out the unclean spirit. Maybe you too have wondered why you at times lacked spiritual power in your life. Maybe you've said, Lord, how come I wasn't able to overcome that temptation? Lord, how come I don't get to see the impossible things happen in my life? How come the Lord doesn't do big and mighty things for me? How come I'm defeated when there's ever spiritual warfare around me? Well, then Jesus responds in verse 29. He said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You see, while there may be more to it than this in the questions that you perhaps have asked the Lord, it could be that the answer is there has been a lack of both prayer and fasting in your life. Could be. And this has been a convicting thought for me as I've been looking in this passage. How much has the Lord wanted to do in and through my life, but because of my lack of prayer and fasting, he has chosen not to? Because I simply haven't asked. So the Lord is telling them and ultimately us that somehow God is able to grant us some spiritual power through prayer and fasting, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare. And the book of Acts supports this truth. If you kind of hold your place here in Mark chapter number 9 and, and jump to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter number 4 and uh, verse number 24. So here they, uh, or verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. So these are Peter and John who were kind of taken in captivity and then they uh, were let go. Verse 23, they went to their own company, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Verse 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. 
and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and goes on down, and they spend some time in prayer together as a church family. Then look what happens in verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Because they took the time to go and get serious and get on their knees before God in prayer, as a result of that, they now had some spiritual power. I'm not saying that God's going to create an earthquake if we have a prayer meeting in here. Uh, we're, not, we're not after signs and wonders. We're after God to use us to get the word of God out there. And that's what they were all filled with. Uh, they spake the word of God with boldness. Are we lacking boldness? As we go to work in our community to get the gospel out, let's take some time and pray and fast. James 4 and verse number 2. Again, why don't we have some of these things happen? Why do I keep falling into temptation? Well, James 4.2 says, Ye have not, because ye ask not. It could be that we're not asking, and that we're not asking with fervency and earnestly, and, and we're not asking uh, continually. E.M. Bounds, in his book, Power Through Prayer, said this, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, Not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. May God help Cornerstone Baptist Church to be a church filled with men who are men of prayer. I'll throw it out there. Every Sunday morning at 9.15, we meet in the conference room right back here with any man who would like to join us. We basically just meet there, share a few prayer requests, and pray for the services for God's power to be upon our church. Any man is welcome to come to that. Any young man is welcome to come to that. If anything happens in this church, it's obviously not because of us, not anything that we could do. It's obviously all of God, right? And we want God to do some great things in our church and through our church. Well, then we need to get into the prayer closet and ask him to do it. Remember that Jesus said in Mark chapter number three and verse number 14, it says, and he had ordained 12 that they should be with him and then he might send them forth to preach. So there needs to be time that we have with God before we go and do the service. I try to take time every Sunday morning to spend some extra time in prayer before I come even to the church. Because I know that before I preach, I need to be with him. I need to spend time with the Lord. But look, that's not just for me as the pastor. That's for all of us as believers. Because God's called all of us to preach the gospel to every creature. We better make sure we're spending time with him before we go and preach for him. 
Well, Peter and John got the, got the memo on that because in Acts 4.13, it says, as they were preaching and, and right before or right after Peter said this, uh, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. After he says that, the Bible says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They said, these guys just have kind of a basic education. They're not super sharp. They're maybe not the sharpest knives in the drawer, maybe a few fries short of a Happy Meal. I can relate to that because so am I. But if we take time to spend time with Jesus, that's going to give us a boldness and some power that, again, I don't understand exactly how it works, but God does do that. And uh, he said in, in back in Mark 9, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But we've got to call unto him. A lot of Christians kind of want a, a, a different way, a shortcut to getting God to answer them without prayer. But, but he's told us, call unto me and I will answer thee. You know, I've, you and I have both tried to call different people and they won't answer their phone. You know, their phone is off. It goes straight to voicemail. That never happens with God, does it? He's always there. He picks up, not even on the first ring. He already picks up before it rings once. And he'll talk as long as you want. I am convinced that prayer is one of the greatest resources that God's given to us as believers. But it's the one that's utilized the least. It's like we have unlimited electricity and we never turn on the light it's already been paid for there's no more electric bills well, i don't really want to turn on the light i don't uh. let's not be too lazy to utilize this powerful resource that god's given to him but he doesn't just say prayer he also says fasting as well and this one's not real fun to talk about especially right before lunch or supper, or dinner, however you say it here in Oklahoma. How many, how many call this next meal you're about to eat dinner? Okay. How many call it supper? How many call it lunch? Okay. Okay, good. Okay, good. So you're just the, there's one in every group, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> supper. Um, but just before we, we have this next meal, I do want to take a moment and, and, and mention fasting here. Biblical fasting is the abstinence from food and perhaps other legitimate pleasures in order to concentrate on a definite spiritual problem or need. It is done in conjunction with confession of sin and prayer. What is the purpose of fasting? Well, the Lord Jesus said that fasting is an essential part of spiritual warfare. And there are indeed demonic strongholds that can be conquered by Nothing except for prayer and fasting like this situation. The disciples found themselves uh, here in uh, chapter number 9. What are some other times when we should fast? Well, uh, fast when we're intensely tempted. And uh, I don't have time to go super slow so you can write all these down. But 
Uh, when you're intensely tempted and it's an, a temptation that continues to beset you, I would encourage you to take some time to pray and fast about that particular temptation. Matthew 4.2 is when Jesus was led away into the um, wilderness to be tempted of Satan. Next, fast when wisdom is earnestly desired in a situation that you need wisdom. You're making a big decision. That you don't just throw a dart and say, well, that's what we're going to do. Don't flip a coin. No, take some time to pray and fast and ask for God's wisdom in that particular situation. Daniel did. Daniel chapter number 9. Next, fast when God's help and protection are needed in a situation in your life. You need God's help and you need God's protection. Take some time to pray. Fast when victory is desired in seemingly impossible situations. And Esther. Remember the story of Esther, that beautiful story? And she says, if... I'm, I'm willing to do this, and if I perish, I perish. But she asked everybody to fast because it was a seemingly impossible situation, and God worked in that situation. Fast during special time or times of special repentance, confession, and revival. Nehemiah chapter one is Nehemiah got to see the uh, his got got to see his his town his hometown in 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 shambles he took some time to uh pray and fast and repent and confess the sin uh, acts chapter 13 and 14 tells us that we should fast when new ministries are launched and when men go forth to proclaim god's word and battle spiritual enemies so as uh barnabas and paul were sent forth they they first fasted they were involved in that. And, and again, in chapter 14, there was some fasting going on before they sent people out to serve the Lord. A fast went involved in spiritual ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. So there are several uh, times when we should be involved in fasting. Never is it to try to look spiritual or sound spiritual. No, we're to do so in secret, aren't we? The Lord Jesus, uh, here's an encouraging promise about fasting. The Lord Jesus made a definite promise about fasting. When one fasts in the proper manner for the proper reason, uh, the Bible says in Matthew that the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now this is one of the most wonderful promises in the Bible and cannot be dismissed lightly. God would not make such a promise if he did not consider fasting important. Christ never discouraged proper fasting. He condemned and corrected false practices, but never did he discourage scriptural fasting. In fact, he took for granted that his followers would fast. Now, there's no command that thou shalt fast, but um, there's the understanding when he says when thou fastest, right? Not if, but when. So there needs to be uh, times in our lives when we do uh, go into a fast. Um, so these disciples were confused about the resource of power, and I believe that many believers are still confused about that. Hopefully today here at Cornerstone, we now know the importance of prayer and fasting to have spiritual power in our lives. So they were confused about the resurrection of Christ. They were confused about the return of Elijah and the resource of power. And then fourthly and lastly, quickly, they were confused about the reminder of Christ. I pick it up in verse number 30 here where it says, And they departed thence. And passed through Galilee, 
and he would not that any man should know it. So Jesus uh, now makes his way from Caesarea Philippi through Galilee, trip that would take him to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross of Calvary. And for the most part at this point, Jesus' public ministry was over. There'll be a few other things he'll do in, in public, but for the most part, uh, that stage of his ministry is in the rearview mirror. Well, verse number 31, then he reminds his disciples about the plan of God. Verse 31, then he taught his disciples and said unto them, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now notice he says, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men. So Jesus was, in essence, saying that he would become the victim of, of all men in reality. Because, you see, it wasn't just the religious rivals or the Roman government officials that put him on that cross. No, it was every man and every woman. It was our sin that put him there. It was my sin that put him on that cross and, and yours as well. And he was delivered into the hands of men. And for God to be willing to be delivered in the hands of men is a mind-blowing thought. But he was willing to do so, so that you and I could be delivered into his hands, you see. Now notice their response to what he reminded them about. He reminded about the plan of God, the fact that Jesus was uh, come to... Uh, suffer and and then to be killed and then rise again the third day the response in verse 32 but they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him now they were understandably a little gun shy about asking any more questions <laughs> um, it seemed that jesus was disappointed in their lack of growth and understanding in recent days and and uh, you think about it peter was rebuked sharply in a couple instances uh, one in chapter eight and here again in in uh, chapter number nine at the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. And so they were like, you know what? We're just going to kind of be quiet on this one and probably a smart maneuver on their part to just kind of zip the lip and uh, they'll figure it out as time goes on. They didn't quite know it, but we do, that Jesus is now heading to the cross, that his time is short before he would become the once and for all sacrifice on Calvary and rise again. So they were confused about his reminder. Now, as we consider this passage today and the four truths that the disciples were confused with, Jesus offered great clarity. Hopefully, you're now clear about the resurrection of Christ, that he did rise again for you. And that you're now clear about the return of Elijah, that uh, yes, Elijah did come back in the person of John the Baptist, and now you're clear about the resource of power that, that some things do require prayer and fasting combined together to get the spiritual power to be able to handle the spiritual warfare in our life. And we're clear about the reminder of Christ that he would indeed be crucified and rise again. But are you clear that he did that for you? Are you clear that he died on the cross and rose again for you? 1 John 2 and verse number 2 says... He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
This verse means that when Jesus died for us, he freed us from the guilt of our sin by satisfying the wrath of God with his death, and he did that for you. When he was on that cross, I was on his mind. And so were you. He was thinking about Eric Johnson, a twerpy little kid who would become a very handsome, strong man. He thought of me. I'm nothing. But he cared about me. And he also thought about you. He cared about you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today's the day. Not tomorrow. Not next year. Not when you get life figured out. No, today's the day. Because you're not going to really get life figured out until you know for sure you have a relationship with God. This is the most important decision anybody will ever make in their entire life. And if you've never done that, today's the day to place your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. You can't earn your way to heaven. There's not a one of us that can. You say, well, I'm going to work really hard and be super diligent in my religion. Good for you, but that's not going to get you to heaven. It's going to get you into hell. Because we can't earn our way to heaven through our good works. We have to have a relationship with Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way. So, confused disciples. I don't think they're confused anymore now that they're on the other side. And hopefully, we're not confused about any of these things either now that we've taken the time to study it. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Lord, we thank you for the record that we just study today. Lord, disciples who were flesh and bone, just like us, who didn't quite get it. But Lord, I pray that today we would understand these truths a little bit better because we've taken the time to look at them and study them from your word. Lord, we understand the fact that you did indeed rise again the third day. And you've given us tremendous evidence and infallible proof the points that indeed you did do that. Lord, uh, thank you for clarifying uh, the return of Elijah and the process there. And Lord, thank you for telling us about the resource of power in our lives. Help us to not neglect prayer. And help us, Lord, to not neglect fasting either. Not in order to be physically healthy. Not in order to lose weight. But Lord to be spiritually healthy and to have your spiritual power. And then, Lord, we're thankful for the reminder as well that you said, hey, it's time that I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. And, Lord, I'm sorry for being one that puts you there, uh, but I'm thankful that you were willing to go and think of me. And, Lord, as you've thought of me, you also thought of every other person in this room today. And Lord, if someone here has never trusted Christ and believed on Jesus. I pray that they would make the greatest decision of their life today and be born again. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Miss Pat to play through on this first verse of this song. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a, a time of prayer and decision there in your seat as the Lord has spoken to your heart today.